Hello, everyone, and welcome to Free Reads. If you've been following The Last Judgment, then you know that last week I was traveling. Well, I'm home now, but I'm just a little bit discombobulated because we've had a death in the family. Since I don't feel particularly witty or introductory, I'm just going to launch right into this week's installment. I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back next week. Fourteen. I pedaled into the heat of the afternoon as I sprinted across town to pick Aisa up. I still needed to get to the office to tell George that I would take the case and lock in Siren's retainer. But I also wanted to hear what the bot had to say about loyalty. I wasn't sure it was something he'd talk about. We didn't have that kind of relationship. Or any relationship, really. I didn't hate bots like I hated the devils, but I tried to have as little to do with them as possible. Some people claimed to have bot friends, and I'd seen Crazy Martha, the accountant down the hall from me, chatting George up. Then I remembered that I needed to brace Haddad. I pulled over, looked him up on my sidekick, then hopped back on the bike. As our services, this one is pleased to accept your call? A bot, of course. Put Haddad on. Regrettably, the press of duty makes the doctor unavailable to take unsolicited calls during office hours. It would be a true honor for this one to deliver your message. Okay, then. Tell him I'm a private investigator and I need to talk to him about Renata Descano's death. Tell him there's a problem with his story. Better do it right now. He might decide he's available. The doctor's schedule is most eventful today. Indulge this one and I will make the inquiry. I was flying down the hill on Cabot Street when Haddad came on. His voice was so thin that it was barely able to stand up on its own. Say again? I stopped on the sidewalk. This is Haddad. Your name, please? It's Faye Hardaway, but that means nothing to you. But my client's name will. It's Maud Descano, isn't it? What else does she want from me? We need to talk, Dr. Haddad. The sooner the better, and not on a call. I'm very busy. You, me, and the undertaker. On the other hand, your patient Bahita Berry isn't doing anything at all today on account of he's been murdered. Haddad's voice lost weight. Murdered? Beaten to death. So cross him off the schedule for tomorrow. The cops will be happy to take his appointment. I'm thinking we should meet before that. That's terrible news. It is. Does tonight work for you? There was a long silence. Maybe he was checking his calendar, or maybe he was picking himself up off the floor. Eight. Where? My office, Miss Hardaway. As I said, I am very busy. He broke the connection. When I unlocked the door to my office, Aisa squirmed her hand out of mine, darted into my little reception room, and started pawing through the tired books on the coffee table. She wasn't interested in the Book of Art, Volume 4, German and Spanish Art to 1900, or the Big Book of Famous Women, or Behind the Veil, The Chrysler's Scam, or A Guide to the World's Greatest Buildings. As soon as she found Heather Has Two Mommies, she hurled herself onto the futon with it. Read me! Read me! I told you, sweetie, I have to work first. You can read it to yourself like at school. Later we can read together. I went through the connecting door to my office. George hadn't been in his room off the lobby when we came in, so I put my feet on the desk and called him on my sidekick. Hello, Faye, he said. This one has anticipated your communication. Siren has mentioned his bright desire to task you to an investigation. Has a decision been reached? It has. Can you come up? I want to discuss something with you. I will arrive forthwith. Do I notice your daughter's voice? In the next room, I could hear Aisa piping, Mommy Jane, Mommy Kate. Yeah, she's here. Is that a problem? It would give this one true pleasure to offer your child a token of familiarity. 
Sure, whatever, but we're only here for a few minutes, okay? I have to get her home for supper. I had tucked the Bosch under my shirt. I wasn't about to leave it in my saddlebag on the street. I wasn't sure exactly why I hadn't given it to Maud when I'd had the chance. I suppose because it was my ticket to see her again if I needed to, and because it was a clue to Beetle's murder that I didn't understand yet. I unzipped the bag for another peek. This slab of oak hadn't gotten any less ugly. The mud-colored devil still had an arrow sticking out of its ass. Touching edges only, I turned it sideways and upside down. If I'd gone to detective school, I might have had a microscope to slide it under, or at least a magnifying glass to examine it with, but I was a self-taught and self-appointed Seamus. I was pushy and persistent, and I made the rent by working cheap and by taking pretty much every case that walked through my door, as long as it didn't involve Christers, which meant that the only tool I had at hand was a pocket knife. I unfolded the thin blade, slid it under a paint chip the size of a toenail, and lifted. The wood underneath was not blank, as I expected. I could just glimpse a herringbone pattern in a smoky blue. I tried a bigger chip, but when I got the knife under, it flipped off from the painting with a snick and landed tan side up on the desk. Damn. If this painting was really priceless, it just got discounted. But what I'd uncovered got my blood singing. It looked very much like the corner of a devil's, one of our devil's, compound eye. I scooped the chip with my blade, deposited it on the painting, and sealed everything back in the plastic bag. I unlocked the middle drawer of my desk and tried to pull it out quietly, but Aisa has ears like a bat. She was through the door in an instant, Heather and her mommies forgotten. My yittles, she said, mine! I put the bag away and locked the middle drawer. We kept a colony of littlers in the bottom drawer, next to the office bottle of Johnny Walker. I let her play with her toys while I opened the bar. She liked to huddle under my desk. I told her it was her cave. I listened to her bossing her collection of mommies and daughters and cows around, then slipped a plastic cup off the stack and poured myself a moment of peace, while I wondered what it meant that someone, maybe Bosch himself, had painted a crude joke over a real devil. I was considering a refill when George appeared in the connecting door to the reception room. I nodded him in, dropped my hand under the desk, and wriggled my fingers to get my daughter's attention. Aisa, George is here. Bot, bot, she said. The bot, yes. Cookie, she said. Maybe cookie? No, I don't think that George has a cookie today. Or do you? Regrettably not, but this one would be pleased to offer the child this, he said. He extended one of the snaky appendages that served as arms and deposited a figurine on my desk. It was a littler version of a bot, made of the same gleaming bot stuff as George. My intention is that you will find it appropriate, and Aisa Ramirez will find it amusing. I picked it up, turned it over, passed it between my fingers. I thought maybe I should have an objection, but none came. Bots were as much a part of Aisa's world as cows, more so. Aisa, I said, look what George brought you. I handed it down and then bent over to see her reaction. Bot, bot! She snatched it from me and immediately introduced it to the other actors in her toddler soap opera. What do you say? Thank you, Gorge. When I straightened up and saw George, I was momentarily disoriented, as if he were not the bot I knew, or maybe I was another Faye Hardaway. I had just asked Aisa to thank a bot. If crazy Martha or Abby the piano teacher had given the gift, I would now express my gratitude as well. But the words stuck to my tongue. So, I said instead, you can tell Siren that I'm already working the case. Siren looks forward to a speedy accomplishment. As he spoke, an icon flashed on my desktop, and a lonely bank account had a thousand new friends. I nodded and tapped it shut. I need to ask you something. My full attention is at your disposal. A bot has gone missing. Name of Kirby worked for Maud Descano. Yes, such is most unusual. You know about it? This one is a deliberative agent in a distributed intelligence network, 
how not in continuous communication we are connected all to all. Any idea where he is? At this time, his location is unavailable to the network. Kirby's previous masters have been contacted, but the query has not provided bright results. Which would be who, exactly? Kirby was most recently tasked to cooperate with Greta Sams. Prior to that, he commenced a semiotic inventory of the Hopewell Museum. He was once created to support Eller, who is compiling the Index of All Human Dysfunction. I liked that, even though it pointed in three different directions. Okay, then, answer me this. Can a bot do something illegal? Such illegal act is imbued with wisdom? That was what I was afraid he'd say. Wisdom. The devils kept preaching wisdom, although their idea of it was seriously cocked. Somehow it involved a potty mix of efficiency, values, and having things turn out as planned. Of course, nobody was buying ethics from the devils. Say I stole something. Would you turn me in? While you are assisting Siren in these matters, I would not. What if I am not working for Siren? I would take actions appropriate in the circumstance. Which was no help. I knew this would be a mistake. Suppose I asked you to kill someone. No, say a devil told you to. Which individual am I to consider? Anyone. The statistical individual has no intrinsic value, or rather she has a value that approaches zero. That is, if the value of the human species is one, then the value of a non-specific individual is one divided by the current population. One, Aisa muttered. One, two, three, four. She usually didn't listen to bots because of the way they mangled the language. Thus, if the master's request or yours did not contravene wisdom, I would perform as asked. Just like that. The wisdom would require complex calculation. For example, certain individuals contribute to the overall health of your species. Really, I said. Just how do disappearing half of us contribute to the health of our species? Do we look healthy to you? Poopy, said Aisa and stuck her head out from under the desk. Poopy, mommy. She presented herself to be picked up. As I slipped my hands under her arms and boosted her onto the desktop, I could smell it. She stood there preening for George. She took pride in her poops. I kept a few emergency diapers and a packet of wipes in the bottom drawer behind the bottle. I laid Aisa down on the desk and unsnapped her onesie. That action was taken by the masters, said George. This one was not then in existence. What action? I pulled off the diaper and wiped Aisa down. I had lost track of the conversation. The purging to which you refer... We were deployed after it occurred to relieve the unplanned distress of your species. Unplanned? The back of my neck began to burn, and if Aiza hadn't been there, I would have thrown something at George, like maybe my desk. They didn't see the crazy time coming? The inexpectation was its persistence over many years. That's what I got for trying to talk to bots. Never mind, I said. You bots are just as guilty as devils. I handed them the wad of diaper and wipe to dispose of, unless you disagree with what they did. The available data at the time upheld the wisdom. I stared. Are you saying there's new data? That maybe this was all a big mistake? Trying to read a bot is like trying to read a washing machine. There is always new data, Faye Hardaway. Wait a minute. Sharifa had been sweeping up the scatter of peas and macaroni around Aisa's high chair. Now she turned to me. You're talking about Saint Khalil? The Dr. Khalil Haddad who does sex operations... I scrubbed hardened cheese sauce out of the saucepan and then dipped it in the dishwater. Nobody mentioned he'd been canonized. He's so ancient I thought he must be dead. I mean, he had the surgeries to become a man way before the disappearance. You know him? I know of him. She emptied the dustpan into the garbage. I never met him myself. He left for private practice right before I did my residency. He worked in the ER at our hospital. They said he was a beast, that nobody human could clock all the hours he did. Okay, so he was a hard worker. How does that make him a saint? 
He got the name in the crazy time, when everything fell apart and the suicides were piling up in the morgue. They said he would spend days at a time at work, pulling women back from the edge. They trusted him because they thought he was a man, the last man. You know, because he looked and acted like one. It gave him a kind of power that the other docs didn't have. Great, so he's a holy man who does miracles. He's still the guy who broke up with Renata Toscano. But that doesn't make sense. He's got to be in his late 80s, maybe 90. I dried my hands on the dish towel. What are you saying? Sharifa was just within reach, so I caught her by the waist. Old folks don't need sex? I nuzzled her ear. I've got news for you. You're not that old, she giggled, and you get your share, Seamus. She kissed me. It was a good kiss. It had all of Sharifa's style and some unexpected ambition. A kiss that could have gone places given half a chance. But it was 7.30, and I had an appointment with a saint at 8. 15. I had never met Renata Descano, but I had seen pics and vids. She was about my size, maybe an inch taller and a bit bigger in the hips and bust, a girl who wouldn't get blown over in a strong wind. But if she had actually enticed Dr. Khalil Haddad into her bed as alleged, she would have had to be very, very careful not to break him. On tiptoes, Haddad would have stood maybe 5'4", and, if he had been naked and soaking wet, the water might have weighed more than he did. His skin was stretched tight and pale over high cheekbones, but was wrinkled around the eyes and mouth. He had a full head of flyaway white hair, but it was everywhere thin, so that I could see his pink scalp. His step was wobbly and uncertain as he walked me from the reception room to his office, as if he wasn't sure where to find the floor. However, his gaze was bright, alert, and disapproving as he settled behind his desk. Tick, 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 Miss Hardaway. I still have patients waiting. I'd been trying to think up a clever line of patter, but I was shooting blanks, so I just blurted something out. I want to know why you're talking to me, because the way you caved this afternoon, I'm guessing you have something to hide. He was as astonished as I was. And you want me to just come out and tell you what it is? My wife said that they call you St. Khalil down at Parkhurst. She's a doctor there, intensive care. What's her name? Sharifa Ramirez. He leaned forward, tapped at his desktop, and I saw Sharifa's pics. So your wife is Dr. Ramirez, and she works in my old hospital. I've never heard of her. A devil named Siren hired me to look into Renata Descano's suicide. Siren? You know him? He leaned forward again and spoke to the desk. Philip. A moment later, his bot answered. This one is listening, Khalil. Send everybody in the waiting room home. Reschedule them. I'll come in early tomorrow for anyone who can make a six o'clock call. Yes, Khalil. Is there any other service this one can accomplish for you? Make sure I'm not disturbed. Thanks, Philip. You are welcome, Khalil. Haddad wheeled his chair away from his desk across the floor to an antique sideboard. He opened the marquetry-covered doors. Do you know anything about port, Miss Hardaway? No, I said, but I'm willing to learn. I have a very fine 2007 Quinta de Vargas here. He removed a dusty bottle and two crystal goblets. If you would carry these over to the couch. Renata Descano was a smart, wonderful, and deeply unhappy woman. Were you lovers? Haddad stared into his glass. We loved each other, yes. He glanced up and saw something in my expression that amused him. This interests you, he laughed. Feel free to speculate on the prurient details. You won't be hearing them from me. Fair enough. I hoped I wasn't blushing it would clash with my attitude. But Maud didn't approve. Maud didn't approve of anything that Renata did, which is why she accomplished so little. Andy says she broke you up. That boy has never understood his mother's suicide. And you do? You ask if I had anything to hide. I do, but nothing illegal. Only something I deeply regret. Have you ever heard of a spendthrift trust? 
I shook my head. Imagine a wealthy older woman falls ill, say, to cancer. We talking Maud here? Haddad waved a bony finger for silence. She wants to leave her affairs in order and provide for the heirs, daughter and granddaughter in this case. But she has no confidence in them. She creates spendthrift trusts, which disperse specific amounts of money each year, but prevent the heirs from accessing the principal. Usually such trusts are created for minors with the provision that they come into the full amount of money on some birthday, say 21st or 35th. Renata had one of these? Half a million in the trust, with a $15,000 allowance, access to the entire trust on her 60th birthday. I thought about my bicycle chained to a lamppost in front of Haddad's office. I thought about my shabby four-room apartment. And that didn't make her happy? I thought about what money could and couldn't buy. I'm not sure what would have made her happy. I never did. His hand trembled when he brought the glass to his lips. But she found a way to take control of her trust. She wrote her own will, left me a huge sum, and ended her life. My guilty secret is that I have spent almost all of her money on new genital reconstruction technology. I've developed a biomechanical prosthesis that grows directly to the nervous system. Full sensation. Do you realize what that means? He set the glass on the table in front of us. But... He shook his head. But had I known what she intended, I would have told her that I would turn the bequest down. I still feel awful when I imagine her on the bridge, thinking of how what she was doing would help me in the work here. Maud says that she asked for money for you. Maud? His mouth worked as if he were about to spit. If she did, Renata never mentioned it to me. Maud Descano hovered in the room for a few moments, and we contemplated her malign presence in silence. Then about your work here, I said at last. Andy Toscano, Bahita Berry. My work, Haddad smiled, thin lips tight against yellow teeth. What I do is make men, he said. The best I can, at least, given the raw materials I have to work with. I try not to feel guilty when they don't always turn out to be a credit to their gender. Andy, for example. I might not have agreed to metoidioplasty for him if it had not been for his mother. I poured the old man a refill. Why not? The port had him talking. He was rushing things. He'd been in testosterone therapy for just eight months and had already had his mastectomy, hysterectomy, and ovarectomy. He flicked a finger against his glass and it rang. I've known Andy for years. He's impulsive, and even when he isn't, he doesn't always make the best decisions. And the smetoidioplasty involves what exactly? Lifting the clitoral hood and detaching the ligament from the pubic bone. It allows the testosterone prime tissues to extend. The head of the clitoris resembles an adolescent gland's penis, but it's small and not capable of penetration. That requires phalloplasty with my new prosthesis, which Andy had a few months later. He raised the glass and toasted himself. He had two very successful surgeries. And Barry? Uh, him I did not know very well. He was a new patient. He'd been on tea for several years and had developed some fine secondary characteristics. Facial hair, muscle mass, a lovely larynx. Had the mastectomy and was prepped for bottom surgery. It must be expensive. Not at all, Haddad looked insulted. The whole point of my work is to make sex reassignment affordable to anyone who wants it. We have a sliding scale, but the typical charge for these procedures is just over $500. Was that what Barry was going to pay? You'd have to ask Philip. I don't get involved in billing. He sipped his port and frowned. I seem to remember something about Andy offering to help Beetle out. All that cutting, you make it sound pretty simple. Straightforward, yes, most of these are outpatient procedures. Simple, not at all. Sex reassignment is not something to be taken lightly. It's not a fashion statement, and it's not a way to rebel against the devils. 
It's an expression of a man's true self. But you don't really make them into men. All the men are dead. He stiffened and then set his glass on the table in front of us. You, of all people, should understand that isn't true. I stared. What's that supposed to mean? Given who you are, I just thought you... You don't know who I am, I snapped and felt my hands curling into fists. We just met. I shoved them into my pants pockets. A shadow darkened his face, but then he surrendered. All right, then. You're entitled to your opinion. Certainly the devils believe there are no more men. He wrapped his hand around the back of his neck and rubbed. I believed he was about to show me the door, but then thought better of it. But if they were really all dead, then I would be, too. The devils confused biological sex with gender roles. They saw the Y chromosome as a switch which turns on a set of characteristics they called male. But the fact is that both genders share these characteristics. Maybe biological men were more territorial and aggressive on average. Maybe they did murder more often than women. As he spoke, it seemed to me that he got larger somehow. There was muscle in his voice, fury in his posture. But that kind of gender essentialism gets us nowhere. Women can be territorial and aggressive, and they damn well commit murder. The devils tried to extinguish traits they decided were harmful by disappearing an entire sex. He shot off the couch and glared down at me. But look around you and what do you see? They fucked up. Or what do we say these days? It's cocked. Well, excuse me, but that's fucked up, too. I never thought of it that way. Then start, Miss Hardaway. Start right now. I need all the help I can get putting this world back together. And you don't care if the devils find out? The devils know! He seemed surprised to hear himself shouting. He placed hands against head and stretched the wrinkled skin around his mouth tight. Then he let his arms fall to his sides. They know what they did, and they realize now that they were wrong to do it. Or at least Siren and his faction have reconnected with wisdom. And even Eller's foolish index is only intended to justify themselves to themselves against their doubts. A vain attempt to recast history. Instead, all it proves is that they're aliens who got biological sex, gender identity, and gender roles all mixed up. When they disappeared the men... Our species began to generate new men. I'm just helping those people become who they already are. He leaned over to me. You're the detective. He rested the feather of his hand on my elbow. My God, why do you think you're here? And we'll stop there. You've been listening to The Last Judgment, read by Genevieve Achel. It first appeared in Asimov's science fiction magazine in the April-May 2012 issue. Don't forget that you can continue your Kelly listening experience on Audible, where two of my novels have just been published and where James Patrick Kelly's story pod awaits your pleasure. And then there's James Patrick Kelly's Strange Ways, for those of you of the reading with your eyes persuasion. Next week, the plot thickens in the case of the missing Bosch on the Free Reads podcast. Mm-hmm.